Some, some of it falls on rocky ground and it springs up, but then it, it, it's scorched and there's no root and so it withers away. And others fall upon thorns and gets choked out. And then finally some seeds falls on good soil and produces grain, produces great fruit. And Jesus explains this parable to his, parable to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately it falls away. So, some in, 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 in the history of the church have been persecuted like Liskin. And in that context, they're like, I want to hold my baby someday. I want to be reunited with my husband. I want to sit by the fire and have a meal with my family. Things that all of us feel and desire. And so rather, rather than, than, than pursuing Jesus in the midst of this, I think I'm just going to bow out on this one and I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to... And Jesus says those are the ones under persecution... They've received the word with great joy, but when persecution arises, uh, they immediately fall away. Or when tribulation. James uses the word, uh, we all go through various trials. We could almost plug anything into into that, right? A difficult situation at at work or, or sickness or whatever. We could plug it in there and and, and, and when those things arise, what happens to the Word of God that's been implanted in us? But I think it's verse 22 that is what probably catches most of us in our, in our day and age. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. I think our struggle isn't so much in, 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 in the Christian walk. It, we don't really... We're not really tempted to turn back to the Jewish ways. And we're not really tempted to, to, to cower in the midst of persecution. Our, probably our greatest temptation is that the Word of God gets choked out by the things, the cares, the riches of this world. There was a time we, we heard God's Word and we accepted it. and we, There was a joy and there was an excitement but now we've got a kid and we've got a wife and we've got a husband and we've got a house and we've got a job and we've got a... I've got a, a, an old friend, haven't seen him for a long time, 
young guy. He was dynamic on his secular campus, sharing his faith. Loved the Lord. He was he was a, a he was an absolute joy in in our small little congregation. Uh, he was about a year older than I was, so I looked up to him. And and he's like he was on fire for Jesus. And then he met a girl. She wasn't a believer. Scriptures talk about not being unequally yoked. And suddenly his presence at church, his presence on the campus was diminished abundantly, and he literally walked away from the things of the Lord. Behold, this girl was far more important than the word that God had planted in his heart. I was at a conference just a few years ago, and, and the, the theme of the conference was in the context of uh, what do we do about, what, the, what does the scripture say about these LGBTQ issues that are prevalent in our culture? And we had some incredible speakers, uh, Robert Gagnon, who's uh, not only a great Bible scholar, but uh, just has dealt with those issues very honestly bravely, courageously. And as he unpacked what the scriptures very clearly teaches on these issues, then we had a time for discussion. And I remember one individual, faithful in the context of the church for years, literally gets up to ask a question and says, if this is true and if this is what the scriptures say, and he wasn't actually denying it, he says, but if, if I actually live according to this and actually raise these things faithfully as I ought to, uh, I will lose my job. His point was, uh, he, he, as he was unpacking that, he was saying, I don't think we should be doing this because we're going to lose our job. The scriptures make it very clear. Oh, no, 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 no. We pursue Christ even if we lose our job. Even if we lose our job. Are we willing to give up our job so that, 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 the, that, that the world and the riches and the deceitfulness of riches don't choke it out. I think that's our challenge. I don't think none of I don't think we're worried about being thrown into the into the ocean because into the into the river and drowning because we're following Jesus. I, I think our challenge is Will the word of God be choked out? I think Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 39, speaks to even those of us who, who are being threatened that the word of God would be choked. Verse 19, our writer, verses 19 to, I think, verse 25, uh, I think a writer begins with... Uh, speaking of this great assurance. And then he's going to move into a great warning, and then he's finally going to come end up with a great encouragement, okay? But he starts with this great assurance in verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, and I love that language. He says, we're family. Now, in light of everything we've talked about, family, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, since we can enter into the presence of God, how 
by his blood. We've talked about that. He shed his blood. He, he's the perfect lamb. By the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he's opened up, up for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. We don't, go, we don't go through a curtain now. We enter into the presence of God through the flesh, through the body of Jesus. Again, he's, he's, he's not saying anything new. He's already unpacked these things up until this point. He says, but because these things are true. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus is that priest. We've, we've talked about this for a number of chapters now. Since these things are true, verse 22, he's going to give us three things we ought to do. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Now I think if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, the idea there is let us draw near in prayer because we have a faithful high priest who is praying interceding on our behalf, but it's more than just prayer. I think prayer is part of it. But we're to draw near to God. We're to, we're, we're to enter into His presence in all of life. And I think the context helps us understand that and see that. But how? With a true heart. With a heart that is, that is devoted and obedient to. With a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's, he's unpacking what he's just already done. The reality is we've got a clean conscience. Why? Because God's, because of the blood of Christ has, has, has paid for the guilt, paid the debt, forgiven us. The Spirit of God, Ezekiel 36, uh, has cleansed us. With that reality, let us draw near into the presence of God with a true heart. If you're being tempted to love the things of this world more than the things of God, you're not... You're not walking into his presence, entering into his presence on a, on a regular basis, not only in prayer, but just in life in general, with a true heart. He's, he's calling us, are you, are you willing to be like Liskin? Even if it means I don't hold my baby, Ever. I'm devoted to you. Even if it means I don't get that house ever. Jesus, I'm devoted to you. I want to obey you. I want to serve you. I want you. I want to be in your presence. I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to know you. I want to, I want to sense you. I want to obey you. That's what he's calling us to. Let us draw near. 
Now, he doesn't just stop there. He says in verse 23, let us, and he's concluding himself, okay? This is not like the preacher saying, pointing the finger and saying, you guys need to do this. He says, we need to do this. Let us hold fast. What? Hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What is that confession? Well, the confession of our hope is that Jesus has done all of these things. That Jesus is better. That Jesus is a better high priest. That Jesus is the better sacrifice. That Jesus is the better sanctuary that we can enter into, that we have entered into. But also that he promises this great rest in the future. That he promises that we will enter into his presence in the future. There's just this incredible promise of what's coming. We'll see next week. We're going to see how... how um, it's, it's, it's not only, but we're looking towards a homeland and a city whose foundation is made by God himself. He says, hang on to that. In, in, in the story of, of, of Lisk and Dirks, it's just, just remarkable. But what are they doing? Her husband and her, they, they're, they're writing letters back and forth and they're reminding each other of the promises of God. And they say, hang on. Are we supposed to do anything differently? No. We're supposed to do the same thing. Our context is not we're going to be thrown into the river, but our context is we've got a world that's trying to, 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 to ensnare us and enwrap us and, and, and capture our hearts. And our hearts ought to be devoted completely and entirely to this Jesus. Verse 24 is the third thing he calls us to do. Because these things are so true, because these things are reality, he says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That, that means we, we, we need to take some time to pause and think, okay, how will I stir up David to love Jesus? How will I encourage Jeff to love the Lord and to do good works in his context? That's what we're called to do. That's why we, that's why we get together on Sunday. That's why we get together during the week, whether it's with men or with ladies or with both. But it's not just about that. It's like, okay, well, I did my duty, and now I can go pursue the things of the world. No, all week we should be going, how can I love this person? How can I, considering how I can stir them up to love the Lord. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as if the habit of some. Like we, in order for this to happen, we got to be together. Even in, even in our in our in our world where we got these things, this is great that we can do stuff on here. But we got to be together to do this. I don't see your tears on social media. I, I don't see your heart breaking. I don't see those things. I, I only see that as I get to know you. And, and it's not just me getting to know you. It's all of us getting to know one another. And 
let us, let us, let us. And, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Every time I talk to my dad, dad's 86 now, soon to be 87. Every time I talk to him, he's amazed that the world still is functioning. And he's like, Jesus has got to be coming back soon because it's just not good out there. So if the author of Hebrews prior to 70 AD, I'm not the brightest guy on the planet, but if he's saying that we should be doing this more and more, gathering together more and more as you see the day drawing near, if that was important then, how much more important is it today? I don't know if dad's right, if we'll see it in our lifetime, the return of Jesus. I hope he's right. But I know one thing, we're closer to it. Great assurance, verses 19 to 25. And then in verse 26, 31, I, I think our author's going, okay, I need to consider how to stir up my brothers and my sisters to, to, to love the Lord, to, for love and good works. And I think one of the ways he realizes I need to do this is warn them. And this is a fourth warning passage, and it's a, don't just skim over it. It's a, it's a tough one. Verse 27. Well, verse 26, let's start there. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And that, in their context, if we, you know, if we, if we deliberately say, you know what, we're going to neglect Jesus and we're going to return back to this. In, in our context, if we're deliberately going, you know what, I'm going to, rather than being fully devoted to Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm actually going to dabble in and love this world. we deliberately continue in this after knowing what is to be tr what is true verse 27 a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries look at verse 28 anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses the, the context there is if they were caught in a murder there's two or three witnesses that says yeah that, that person actually did that Without mercy, they would be put to death. That was keeping the law. If you, if you back up to verse 27, and this idea of a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries there, I think he's looking back at a passage in Isaiah 26, but I also think he's thinking of the passage in Leviticus where, where the, the two sons of Aaron who knew how they were to approach God Decided to do it in their way. What happens? Strange fire. Verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? He says, if, if these things are true, of people who deliberately disobeyed the old covenant, which was simply a picture that pointed to this new covenant. 
how much greater will the punishment, the judgment be upon those who have heard and understood and grasped and saw the new covenant and the beauty of the new covenant and have rejected it, deliberately rejected it, greater will their punishment be like the, the point is this is this this is meant to cause us in the church to grapple with our devotion to Christ let's take a look at some of those things how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God If we have been blessed with hearing who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has come to do, and we have been blessed with the, 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 the understanding of, of the, the incredible blessings that will come for those who believe and put their faith in this Jesus, if we've been shared that good news with, did I say that right? Something like that. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If we turn that around and go, you know what? But I'd really rather have that whatever, fill in the blank. I'd really rather hold my baby just once. You know, Come on, is that, is, doesn't every mother long for that? I, I would think so. If she had turned back, she would have been trampling the Son of God under her foot. Well, but not only that, she would have profane the blood of the covenant. That word profane is an interesting word. It's, it's, it's the idea of considering something to be common. It would be like thinking about the blood of Jesus that we remember every Sunday, the thinking of his blood that was shed for our forgiveness, to shed so pay, to pay our debt. That we would consider it like a paper cut and go, oh yeah, I'm bleeding. Mm. Consider it as common. Well, this is the blood of the Son of God. And finally, he says in verse 29, in his outrage, the Spirit of grace, chapter 9, verse 14, says that, that um, well, let me read it. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Not only was the blood of God that cleanses our conscience, but it's the Spirit of God. It's Christ and the Spirit doing this work. And, and if, 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 if the things of this world are that much more attractive to us, then we have outrageous Spirit of grace. The Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
You see, he starts with this great assurance, but then he turns around and says, has this great warning. And I think he's using that warning with the intent and with the desire to, 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 to shake us and to, to ask us, do we love him? In the book of Revelation, chapter, the early part where he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, you have left your first love. We're to consider, remember, that time when we came to Christ, how we loved him, how we, we wanted to know him, how we wanted to, to, to learn about him and grow in him. Uh, uh, it, and he's telling the church in Hebrews, be warned. But he doesn't stop there. Verses 32 to the end, I, I see he he offers great encouragement. He, he, he ends the, the whole chapter. He says, we're not of those who shrink back we're, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, and preserve their souls. We, we are of the ones who, who um, continue, who persevere. That's who we are. And he includes himself in that. He starts in verse 32. He says, I want you to recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Listen to this. Verse 34, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. He's, he's, he's just reminding them, guys, church family, Remember when you, when you first met Jesus and, and how you longed to be with Him and how you knew you had this greater possession and you were willing to give up whatever. At great cost. You had compassion on those in prison. What's significant there is Quite frankly, they were probably having compassion on those in prison that were in prison because of the gospel. And by having compassion on those in prison, they were also now putting themselves in jeopardy. It says in verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance. He's encouraging them. He's reminding them who they are. He's reminding them what they believed. He's reminding them of, of, of their early days. And, 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 and so the warning was meant there to, to awaken them and to arouse them, and it's meant the same for us. Quite frankly, I think we're living in a culture that's far more dangerous than a culture that is completely antagonistic to the gospel. We live in a culture that wants to put us to sleep. We live in a culture that wants us to be consumed with the things of this world, whether it's what we watch or what we listen to or what we read. We live in a culture that wants us to be enamored with the things of this world, wants our hearts to follow the things of this world, wants it to, for us to think that somehow there's, there's something 
And, and we go back to the story of, 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 of Liskin at the beginning of the story. I mean, what mother wouldn't want to hold their child? What husband wouldn't want to sit by the fire with his wife? But, but, but those things pale in significance to the wonder and the promise of being in the presence of our Lord, both now and forever. And the challenge for us this morning is to consider Jesus. The challenge this morning is for us to, to wrestle with these, these passages, these texts. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We, we, we're, we're not here to play church. We're not here just to go through some motions. We're not, this is not a game that we're playing. The, the reason we gather is to stir each other on, encourage one another, to remind each other of what, what goes on in this, what's going on in this book, what God has done, who Christ is. Because eternity is at stake. Eternities at stake. Not 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years, whatever God's going to give us. Eternity. And he's going to move from this moment of encouragement to chapter 11 where he's going to give us this, this incredible list of individuals who by faith were much like Liskin back in 1551 challenge is going to be for us to be men and women of such faith. Let's pray. Lord, I love you.